I'm Tyler Hake, and you're listening to Season 2, Episode 6 of Next Story Up, a smart building services podcast by Schneider Electric. Act 1, The Pilot. Hopefully your experience is similar to mine. But just in speaking for myself, I can confidently say that every day at Schneider Electric, I find myself inspired by different initiatives being pursued, either by the organization itself or in partnership with other organizations. And this is at all levels, not just executives, but grassroots too. All are encouraged. Cool new products and services are of course always being launched, which is table stakes for any company to remain alive and well in a competitive landscape. But more than that, we always seem to be pursuing new places and sources for innovation and initiative. Some of this is structured. For instance, our Go Green in the City program challenges students, not employees, but aspiring students, from around the world to submit ideas that can shape the future of our industries and our company. Those selected into the finals get to interact with Schneider Electric business leaders and employees and get guidance in mapping out the early stages of a career plan. Finalists get to attend our Innovation Summit, which this year was in Barcelona, and the victors even receive job offers from Schneider Electric and an all-inclusive international trip to any two cities in the world where Schneider Electric has offices. Not bad for the participants, but also not a bad method of injecting fresh ideas into your company either. And then some of this is unstructured. Since launching Next Story Up, lots of people have asked me where it came from or how it started. So I figured with the conclusion of Season 2, and all episodes of 2019, approaching, there might not be a better time for me to set the record straight with how we launched the podcast. Who knows, maybe this will be helpful and useful to listeners who have a bold idea of their own. Any kind will do. If that's the case, I'd be honored to play my part. So here goes. The first ingredient for launching an initiative, and which was definitely present at Schneider Electric, is a company culture that is open to different thought processes and new ideas. Knowing this to be the case makes it much easier to tinker and much more realistic to think that looking at solutions differently could get rewarded. In my case, I realized that I was spending a lot of time listening to some great podcasts in all sorts of different industries, but didn't have the slightest idea of where to turn to listen to thought leaders talk about smart buildings or digital power and energy. This, to me, felt like an opportunity, and it seemed like something that might be of interest to those in my company and outside my company as a listening audience. So, what to do with this idea? Well, it led to the next step, which was finding internal sponsorship. And for me, I found this initially with Alexis Hart, who is the U.S. National Director of Channel Development at Schneider Electric. Not only did Alexis think a podcast was a good idea, and that I might be able to pull it off, she volunteered to help me set up some pilot episodes so that we could test the concept and see how it would work out mechanically. At the time of inception for the program, I hadn't the slightest idea of how to record interview audio, how to script a show, what the material should really be, how to make a podcast available to the public, basically anything. Working with Alexis, I was able to figure all that out, and able to produce a rough example of what this might be under the title of Schneider Speaks. More on that in a minute. But with completed pilot in hand, I was now able to approach personnel that could help us put this to good use, 
And it's no exaggeration to say no one listening would have heard any of these episodes without the buy-in and support I found in my partner in crime for this series, Sarah Feeler. Sarah is the director of U.S. marketing for Digital Energy at Schneider Electric in the U.S., and when she took me up on 15 minutes to chat in February of this year, it was her enthusiasm, support, and diligent work that took us from a pilot episode into a full-fledged series capable of bringing on all sorts of interesting guests and attracting thousands of listens. Once Sarah was in the fold, we came up with the full concept and format for Next Story Up, and the rest has become more and more automatic. We'll continue to iterate and innovate on this concept for sure in 2020, but as we begin to view the finish line for this season, it feels like as good a time as any to share the initial pilot of Schneider Speaks, an idea that we've turned into Next Story Up. You'll hear from me, with Alexis Hart gamefully filling in as host, recording our pilot with inklings of what was to come in this series in Act Two. Hello and welcome. I'm Tyler Hake. And I'm Alexis Hart. Your co-host for Schneider Electric's podcast, Schneider Speaks, where we discuss how industry stakeholders can incorporate building technology best practices today, tomorrow, and into the future. We're going to do things a little differently today in this pilot episode and have myself serve as the guest of the show with Alexis acting as the sole host. In the future, we will be investigating topics with industry thought leaders and subjects such as the Internet of Things, cloud analytics, cybersecurity, and the like. But today, Alexis and I will be discussing smart buildings, the promise and challenges when the building experience becomes more digital and more connected. This is a great place for us to start this podcast series as Schneider Electric is launching EcoStructure 2.0 and the IP-enabled field controller product which will provide the hardware and software infrastructure to unlock capabilities in analytics, services, and applications, the likes of which we've never seen before in buildings. So let's get started with an initial question. Tyler, I feel like I'm hearing smart and connected from everyone these days. What does a smart building mean to you? Okay, yeah, so I agree. This is a really great place to start because terms like smart um, become this type of thing that fades into the background and is something that is pretty easy to lose track of what it actually means when it's repeated so often. So some good analogies to that would be like the term green. When we first started hearing green, it became harder and harder to define what that actually meant. And people said things like, I just want a green building without actually being able to communicate what that really was. So let's wrap our heads around smart buildings before we get into this. When I think about a smart building, I'm talking about leveraging data from interconnected systems to enhance the customer experience. And I know that's probably something that is like a high level thing, so it's probably good to break that down. Um, but primarily, what makes something smart in general is the ability to look at data and analyze it at scale. Um, so that's something that you see quite often with cloud computing, um, anything that's taking like large uh, uh, large amounts of data and trying to run algorithms on it. In buildings, what's nice about building automation is we've been generating data and exchanging information between devices since the inception of BAS. What we can do now with smart buildings is take all that data and information and actually apply it at scale and start to get better insights and be more proactive about what's happening in our facilities. So that's the data part. 
So is a smart building just a building automation system play, or is it more than that? Yeah, so it's more than that. Um, It's definitely, it takes building automation systems, which um, hopefully the listeners are are familiar with some of the basics of how that's worked, and connects them at typically um, higher speeds. Um, Part of what you're seeing is this move towards IP-enabled field controllers, which Alexis, you um, introduced in the um, in the beginning of this podcast here. Um, so we can move uh, information um, at higher speeds. We can uh, transmit higher amounts of data, um, which allows us then to take this information and apply it with apps, analytics, and services at scale. Um, this basically takes the same control loop we've always been using, but allows us to do a lot more with it, supercharge it, apply things like AI, and really augment our traditional building automation systems. I think the second part of it is, um, you know, we're taking that data and we're connecting more systems than we have previously. So a smart building is really going to start looking at not just HVAC control, um, not even just things like lighting, which we've done for a while, um, but you're going to start getting into destination dispatch with elevators. Um, You're going to start getting into access control security Um, potential applications with things like reading license plates whenever people come into the facility. And really, the idea being, we create this robust infrastructure as a platform so that as people come up with great ideas over the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years, we can plug those in and start informing separate systems uh, in ways that we haven't been able to previously. Um, So I would say that's the interconnection part of it. And, And I started this with I think a smart building is something that leverages data from interconnected systems to enhance customer experience. And the key really is customer experience. All of this stuff is to give us better access, better familiarity and information with how that end user is occupying, using, and experiencing their day-to-day within our facilities. So how do we make that a better experience for the people that live, work, and play um, or hospitalized, or a guest in our hotel, all of the things that we can do with buildings, how do we use this information to make experiences better for them? That's what I would say a smart building is. So you talked about the user experience, and I just am wondering as a tenant, what should I expect to be different if I choose to lease space from a smart building versus a traditional build-out? That's a great question. So, I mean, I would expect to have access to a platform that allows me to be more connected to different things. Um, it's, one of those, it's, it's one of those subjects where um, when, for instance, the first smartphone was made and the iPhone this year turned something like 10, um, when it was first put out, people didn't necessarily know what all would be made from it. Um, but once that platform was in place, developers flocked to it and started making um, – apps and services that are integrated and, and, and very important in our day-to-day. So I'm talking about things like, like an Uber or a Venmo or a Spotify, et cetera. That platform is going to put um, these connected systems in place in ways that people will be able to continually imagine. So, for instance, when you talk about interconnected systems, you could envision a smart building as being something where, as the end user, um, when my car pulls into the parking lot, um, you might be able to read my license plate with a, with a camera. And you might be able to uh, pick up my access card whenever I swipe in to get into the building, direct me to the elevator that's ready for me so I don't have to wait for an elevator. When I get into the elevator, 
I might have my lights at a certain setting. I might have my temperature at a certain setting. And honestly, down the line, I might have coffee brewing for me. Who knows? Um, but really what a customer experience would, will be is, you know, if the platform's in place, you can start asking for more things and having a better experience, um, which as an end user, I mean, those are types of things. I don't know about you, um, but I would love that future. That sounds like a pretty fun way to live. Um, and um, that's kind of the thing that we're putting together with smart buildings. Sure. And that all sounds wonderful, but it also sounds like there might be an additional cost associated. Yeah. So, I mean, this is one of those things where it's a new, uh, new technology. And I think there's a, there's typically an assumption that when technology comes out, it's going to be more expensive than what was there previously. But there are a couple of things that are acting in our favor when we consider technology. The first is, you know, we're talking about a lot of hardware um, and Moore's law of technology basically allows us every 18 months to double um, the amount of capability that we have in hardware for roughly the same price that we've always been, been paying given inflation. And also, you know, around a big launch such as this, there are other sort of efficiencies of scale. So for one, when we move away from a world of traditional backnet over MSTP type wiring, um, we might be able to start using for our network cabling the traditional IT method um, and be able to save some labor costs there. Um, also, bundled around you know, our particular launch, we're going to have new efficiencies in our software with EcoStructure 2.0 with an express intent of um, how do we lay these systems out uh, more efficiently, how can we sort of repeat some of the things that um, uh, that we've had to do over and over. How can we scale that out and make some global changes um, that are bundled around this launch to try and prevent a world where, you know, this stuff gets expensive. Um, so that's some of the stuff that we're working on uh, currently at Schneider. I'm sure everybody has got their mind around this. Um, but I think that the, the gains um, will outweigh the expense. And um, I know I'm getting a little bit off, off track, track of your question, but I'd like to explain a little bit of what those gains might be, if you're cool with that. Yeah, go for it. Okay, totally. So if you're an end user or, or, or a building owner uh, or developer, and you want to decide to invest in something like a smart building, you're, of course, going to consider things like capital expense in general for any product that, project that you're going to do. Um, but you really get a, a, an opportunity here to learn how tenants are behaving in your spaces, to get information to inform you a little bit better on what's happening, um, to start using your building actually as a recruiting tool. So um, the type of thing that if you have high competition for the type of people that will be coming into your facility, you can start using a smart building as a recruiting tool um, due to technological connectivity and things such as that. And that's worth mentioning because our workforce is already majority millennial and the uh, generation that's coming up behind me and Generation Z is going to be even more um, tuned and have an even larger appetite for technological connectivity. Um, so it, it becomes a recruiting tool. It becomes the ability to um, maintain a leaseholder for a longer period of time. You know, there's a saying of the easiest customer um, to get is the one that you already have. Um, so you can start looking at this as a little bit more of a, a revenue generating uh, um, application as opposed to just something that I think people have historically looked at as how can I use building automation to just save me some energy. Um, so mm -hmm. when, we, when we talk about cost, we should also talk about some of the benefits that are, that are associated with this, these new technologies. Sure. Good point. Thank you for bringing that up, Tyler. Switching gears 
for a second. We talk a lot about interconnectivity and networks and different systems talking to each other. It's all over the news. Cybersecurity is a real threat. What exposure do I open myself up to if I choose a smart building versus a traditional one? Yeah, so definitely um, when you think of smart buildings, you should think of them as a platform for the Internet of Things. And hand in glove with the Internet of Things is um, the sort of Achilles heel of cybersecurity, where if I'm connecting more devices for more manufacturers to serve different purposes, they each represent their own specific and unique vulnerability. Um, I would say that that's something that when you're working with a building automation provider, um, whoever that is, you need to make sure that this is something that is integrated into their product and design. It can't be something that a building technology provider puts on the side and says, okay, we also, along with our product, have to consider cybersecurity. It needs to be completely and explicitly integrated into what we do. So um, this is an evolving threat uh, that I'm never going to be able to hand a box to you and say, if you install this, you've you know, solved cybersecurity. We've had plenty of hacks and cyber breaches through building automation without it being necessarily a smart building. So there are some famous examples. Um, you know, the target hack was building automation, obviously, before we got to a point where we had smart buildings. Um, the Stuxnet hack in Iran um, was a huge hack that occurred in a building that was meant to have an air gap and never touched the Internet, but they were still able mm -hmm. to, to, uh, to hack that. Um, I would say that we need to make sure that with every software uh, revision, um, with every new product line that comes out, there are standards. Um, the manufacturer doing things like benevolent hacking to try and see what goes into the system, um, device hardening to make sure it stays up to speed over time, and this is something where we feel we're a leader um, based on some of the cybersecurity professionals that we have employed for us in that actual um, specific pursuit. Oh, I see it. I see your points. It makes me think about the IT departments that are responsible for maintaining these systems. Now we're asking them to support the infrastructure that is with devices that they weren't historically used to managing, not historically IT devices. What are you seeing the impact on the IT department as these buildings are coming up? Yeah, so I think that there's going to be a large impact um, on the IT departments in that we're now connecting more devices um, and we're creating a world that potentially I think IT departments may have wanted to just keep to the side that they're no longer really going to be able to do. Um, so a lot of times when we've installed systems previously, the conversations that we've had with IT departments have been things like, I want your network completely separate from everything else. Um, I want to uh, minimize the intrusion that I might have on my kind of overarching enterprise information technology system. I don't think that that's something that over time um, we're going to have uh, the opportunity to continue to say because end users and building owners, once they start seeing some of the benefits of going to these integrated systems, are really going to start saying, now this is something that we need to make happen. Um, we need to have these conversations early and often. And really what that's going to make, uh, you know, a, a big change that you'll see in that is 
the mechanical engineering community, um, folks like you and myself, um, the facility management within um, the facility that we're working with are going to have to start getting more familiar with networking um, and are going to have to have these conversations with IT departments um, way early in the process and not something that, you know, we're talking to IT as we install the system. So I think one of the largest changes that we're going to see with smart buildings is that uh, IT is going to be a lot more integrated in the type of things that we're putting together. Yeah, it sounds like from what you're saying, it's going to permeate all the levels of the contracting chain. So the engineers are going to have to get smarter, more savvy about network design and layout, general contractors. Everybody is going to have to be more aware of the infrastructure they're putting in and the impact on the network that's being installed. A hundred percent. Like, so I'm really glad that you brought that up. Um, this is basically going to create a scenario where if a project is coming out, because we're going to be doing things a little bit differently than a sort of siloed, um, isolated approach, we're going to be bringing more people to the table earlier and implementing a lot more thought leadership from people like ourselves who are working on the product and services side, people within uh, an engineering firm who are going to have to start um, coordinating between their own departments of mechanical, um, electrical, IT infrastructure. Um, and then within the facility itself, we're going to have to be having conversations early and often with the IT personnel as well as the facility manager. And also, I think we're going to have more conversations with the, the building owner and the developer. Um, they're going to have to look at this and start coming up with, okay, in a perfect world, here are some of the things that we'd like to make happen so that we could attract better talent. We can um, lease buildings out better. Uh, we can make sure that our hospitals are meeting the requirements that we're constantly tasked to do. In every one of those specific vertical markets, we should be looking at the opportunity to use building automation to build smart buildings that allow them to perform their day-to-day -day life, um, their day-to-day -day business better than they have previously. Thank you, Tyler. You made a lot of points about a smart building versus a traditional building today. If you could leave our audience with your top three takeaways you hope they got out of this conversation, what would they be? Um, well, so, so first of all, I would say the big takeaway is we should be looking at this as an opportunity. And I think a lot of times when there's a new technology that comes out and it might disrupt the way things have been done previously, um, it's scary or it's something that we realize there's going to be a lot of turbulence as we get going. So a great analogy would be, you know, when LEED um, and green design standards came out, however long ago that was, 10 years ago. Um, people were hesitant. They worried about the cost. Um, they didn't really want to get involved in that type of stuff. And now it's something that I believe all of our customers come to us and say, okay, we know that this has been done for a while. We want to be as energy, efficiency as po energy efficient as possible for, you know, all the reasons that we're familiar with. So we should look at this as an opportunity to redefine the way we live, work, and play in buildings um, and kind of uh, use these technologies to, to make the spaces where we spend all of our time better. Um, I think the second would be an awareness of networks and cybersecurity best practices, you know, alongside of these opportunities, benefits that smart buildings will pro provide. Um, we're all going to need to become more aware of networks. Um, we're all going to be... Uh, need to be aware of cybersecurity and really up to speed with that. As I said, it's an evolving threat. 
um, in a way that we haven't previously. And then lastly, um, you know, this is going to require collaboration between all sorts of folks. So engineering departments, manufacturers, service providers, stakeholders at the building owner level, um, collaborative uh, early conversations, particularly as this technology is getting off the ground, probably centered around large-scale, high-profile type jobs so that we learn how to do this. It becomes something that has its own best practices, and we could ultimately um, implement these in a wider range and an array of buildings. I would say those would be my three big takeaways. Great, and thanks for the insightful conversation. If you like what you heard today, please feel free to subscribe to our podcast, Schneider Speaks, on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud, and don't forget to leave us a review. We'd love to keep this conversation going, so please feel free to follow Schneider Electric on Twitter and LinkedIn, and thanks for listening. My, how far we've come, right? I'm so thankful for the support we've gotten in lifting this program into what it is now, and focusing on the pilot this week gives me a great chance to pay that thanks. It's been a fun trip down memory lane here this week, but I also hope it in small part inspires anyone else listening to consider their own little venture at work. If it does, send me a note. I'd love to hear about that. As you heard in the pilot episode, there is always room to grow and shake off early kinks. You just have to start and you just have to try. See what you can put together. I'll also have you know that this isn't the only grand design I've been putting together for myself over this past year. I'll fill you in on another topic I've been focusing a lot of attention on recently in the next Story Up. so excited to develop, produce, and host the Schneider Electric Next Story Up podcast, and most importantly, to share it with a listener like you, possessing the same interest and passion in promoting smart building services for the benefit of all. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure. I'm Tyler Hake.